We're talking about prayer these days. Uh, it's such a necessary and, and, and fundamental part of, of our faith and of, of many faiths, really. Um, today we begin by this. Um, I have one, you have one. I'm going to talk about something today that we all have. But now this thing that we have is, is only with people that really have come in contact with us, who have seen us, who have interacted with us. We can't have this thing with people that we've never seen before. We can't have this thing with people we've never interacted with before. And uh, no matter if you are five years old or 95 years old, you have this thing. And this thing really means something to each of us. Every single person on the planet has it, and it means something to us. And what I'm referring to today is reputation. You can have a reputation in, as a five-year-old. Don't you remember back in elementary school where you're like, ah, that's the kid that blah, blah, blah. That's the kid that likes to pick a fight, or that's the kid that will share his lunch with me, or that's the kid that, that you know, just talks all the time, or eats with his mouth open, or, you know, he's got a reputation, because a reputation is something that requires a pattern. You never meet a person that you've, you've never seen before, never heard about before, and on first sighting you said, well, I, I can tell your reputation is this. It doesn't work that way. A reputation is something that we carry with us as a matter of habit, a matter of form, the things that we do over and over, and the things that people know of us that we do over and over. A reputation can be, as we know, something fantastic. It can be something terrible. So today, we talk about reputation, but not just our reputation in general, but what I'm going to refer to this morning as the reputation of prayer. In other words, how are you known in your reputation when it comes to prayer? And I would go so far as to say that there, there are some people that this matters to more than others, and there's some people that know more about your reputation than others. Every single one of us has, has the capacity to, uh, as we would say, put on, put on a good face, put on a Sunday morning, whatever, you know, whatever uh, verbiage you would like to use for that. But all of us have that sense of being able to fake people out. But there are those that are close to us that, that actually know us and could say, let me tell you their real reputation when it comes to prayer. Now, here's a challenge. I, before we you know, uh, dive in deep here, I, I, there's a challenge I want to frame up for us. Because there's this, there's this thing that Jesus said, and he said, hey, be careful that you don't pray in front of others just to kind of be a, a prayer show-off. And so you can really read that, that Bible passage and think, well, maybe I shouldn't let anybody know my prayer life. I should just be in a closet. I shouldn't model anything. In fact, we find that in Matthew 6, verse 5. This is in the context of Jesus' first sermon. We call it the Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus said, and when you pray, don't be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by men. So you would read that and think, well, I guess I should have all my prayer then in a closet where no one else can see. But the challenge is that when you read the scripture verse, as you'll see at the end of our time together, it matters that you read the whole thing. Too often we pluck things out. Organizations pluck things out, the things of their liking. We're seeing tension in our culture, even this week, great tension in our culture by organizations that have masterfully picked out verses of their own liking to support their own extremism. And so when you read the scripture, you have to read all of it. And so when Jesus said, hey, don't, don't stand on the street corner and pray, but he was getting down to a motive. Because I've just created this list of, that came to mind when I think, well, well that wasn't true for Christ. It wasn't true that he just prayed secretly all the time. He did, but he was open when he prayed. Others saw it so that people could see how he modeled it. Let me just kind of read through some of this. At, the at his own baptism, 
Jesus prayed. After healing people, he prayed. He prayed all night before choosing his 12 disciples. When he was speaking to the Jewish leaders, he prayed. Before he fed 5,000 men, he prayed. Before he walked on water, he prayed. When he was healing a deaf and mute man, he prayed. When Jesus asked uh, Peter, who do you say I am, he prayed. At the Mount of Transfiguration in Matthew 18, he prayed. Matthew 17, he prayed. At the return of the 70 that he sent out, he prayed. He taught the disciples how to pray. Before he, was, before he taught them, he was praying. He prayed before he raised Lazarus from the dead. He laid hands and prayed uh, on little children and prayed for them. In John 17, he asked the Father to glorify his name. At the Last Supper, Jesus prayed. He prayed for Peter's faith when Satan asked to sift him. Jesus prayed for himself. He prayed for his disciples. He prayed for us, all believers in the future. Jesus prayed in Gethsemane. He prayed on the cross. He prayed when he, uh, after he ate with the after the resurrection, when he ate with people. He prayed before the ascension. Jesus, I would say, had a reputation of prayer. He wasn't private about it. He didn't keep it to himself. So today would be like reputation testers. To see those who are close enough to know your reputation, that if you were to ask them, if you were to say, hey, let me ask uh, someone close to to Bob or Bill or Sarah or, or Jane, uh, are you? Do you have a reputation where people would say, oh, yes, boy, I tell you, prayer is a, is a, regularly, uh, uh, a regular habit and pattern in their life. So oddly enough today, I'm going to turn to the book of Job. M- most of us know the book of Job. Job was an extremely wealthy man, and he loved God. And this is a, Job is a very interesting uh, book in the Bible, by the way, and an interesting placement in the Bible. We might think that the oldest book of the Bible is the book of Genesis. It's really not. When you look at Moses, who, who was the one that penned the, the, those books, when you look at Moses, he came uh, roughly on the scene uh, around, I'm just going to estimate, 900 B.C., but the book of Job, Job was, uh, most scholars uh, date Job around 2000 B.C., And so when you look at Job, it is an ancient book. And I just want to point this out. Just keep seeing this pattern over and over. I've brought it up from week to week and really with no great overall strategic plan here, but I just keep seeing it for whatever reason. You're going to see that Job sacrificed. He brought animals as a sacrifice to, to God. And look how many years that was before the law was instituted. Sometimes we just think that was the case. But here's the point. God had this in his heart from the very beginning that there was going to be a, a, a means to get to him. And that means to get to him before the law, before Moses came and said, here are the Ten Commandments, here's what you need to do and all that. We, saw, we see, as I pointed out last week, we see it as early as Cain and Abel, where Abel brought this sacrifice for God. And from the very outset, when, the, when Adam had fallen and God shed the, life of an, shed the blood of an animal and covered Adam, it was a picture of a theme throughout the entire Bible that in order to get to God, we cannot do it on our own, but we will come through a sacrifice. And year after year after year, generation after generation, there was a way to do this until ultimately God said, enough with the animal sacrifices. I'm going to send the ultimate sacrifice to the planet Earth. I'm going to send my son. And I'm going to have him sacrifice once and for all the ultimate perfect lamb of God for the entire population, past, present, and future of those who would come to him. And he will cover the sins of the entire world. And God says, this is the only way that I have ever had. Big point. Many religious leaders come on the scene somewhere later in history, but Christ was planned before Adam took his first breath, and then God unfolds this plan of sacrifice throughout the entire scripture, as you're going to see in the book of Job, written 2000 BC. I find it absolutely stunning in the consistency of the word of God. You can't miss it. 
Otherwise, the people just think that, that Christianity is kind of some newfangled deal that, you know, is just like uh, any other religion. And it's not the case from the very beginning. God had a plan. God was living out the plan. God was showing a plan. God was showing pictures of the plan until God ultimately executed the plan. And then we get to be part of the plan. It's amazing. Now, back to the message at hand. We find Job, and when we find the the story of Job, most of us know it, very wealthy man, and he had this relationship with God, and then the bottom dropped out, everything collapsed in his life, he lost his family, he lost his uh, home, he lost his, his cattle, everything he had. And the bulk of the book really is focusing on that. He has three acquaintances. I'm not going to call them friends. Three acquaintances that come and basically just scrutinize him to the nth degree. And and they're convinced that Job has done something wrong. Behind the scenes, there's something else uh, in in the supernatural realm happening that Satan has asked permission to... to, uh, to take over and uh, his life and to to crush his life, etc. And and uh, and through this, we see the the character and the heart of Job. But I'm going to go on the either side of the catastrophe. We're not going to land today in the bulk of the book. We're going to look at the beginning and the end of the book. And the reason we're going to do this is I believe that this this um, life of Job gives to us this uh, this. Uh, litmus test of prayer, okay? So we begin in Job chapter one and verse four. We're gonna park today in the, in the book of Job if you have your Bibles with you. Otherwise, the, the Bible verses will be up on the screen. Now, some disaster had already, uh, was about to hit, but before then, in Job chapter one, verse four, we get a little bit of a snapshot of how Job's life was going, especially in his family. Job chapter one, verse four. Job's sons used to take turns holding parties. Feast, they called them, in their homes. And they would invite their three sisters to eat and drink with them. We do have we have no more detail than that. But there is just something about that that says, hmm, wonder what was going on in those feasts. And the reason that we might ask that is what comes next. When a period of feasting or partying had run its course, Job would send and have them purified. So there's an an indicator that something had gone on in the fam here that needed uh, course correcting and and covered, etc., and so again, we're talking about an ancient system when he says he had them purified. It's still, we don't know all the details of that, but we know that, that Job was concerned about them. Job didn't just come in and clean up after the party. He just didn't pick up paper plates and, and, uh, and beverage cans. He was interested in their spiritual life. And so he would send them, have them purified. And then we find a little bit of detail of what that meant. Early in the morning, he would sacrifice a burnt offering for each of them, thinking, perhaps my children have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Watch, this was Job's, say it with me, regular custom. In other words, it was his reputation. This was something that he did all along. So here's the first challenge. There's going to be a couple stinging questions here uh, today. And so here's the first question, perhaps the first litmus test, and perhaps the first stinging question for you. If you want to know how a husband's prayer life is, ask his wife. Don't ask the husband. We're men. How's the prayer life? Fantastic. Mother Teresa, you betcha. Ask my wife how my prayer life is. Ask my children how my prayer life is. In other words, is it only at the dinner table? Is it only uh, in times of crisis? Is it what Job had a regular custom? Look, we all know that when we are influencing others, 
we know that it's not just what we say, but it's what we do. It's not just how we act, it's how we react. It's not how we, you know, our great theology or how much we know about the Bible. Of course, knowing the Bible is important. It's not that that will make an impact on those who are closest to us. Our children, our closest friends, our spouse, our cousins who may ever be in that closer circle with you, do they see a life of prayer? Because if they do, you will influence them more than just telling them that they should pray. Our kids watch who we are. And as a pastor, I have tried in our home to make prayer organic. Because when you're in the ministry and you have kids, they, you run the risk of them burning out with the church. I'm reading a, a book right now written by a, a pastor's kid. And by the time he got to college, he had to, he had to fight with God and said, I will do anything but become a pastor because of all the junk I've seen in church and blah, 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 blah. Then it's, an, it's not a new story for everybody. So for us, we have not made it a regimented thing, but we want it to be a threaded through our life organic thing. So it is never, okay, seven o'clock, let's hit the prayer. You know, never that way for us. Now, maybe you're regimented, and that's cool. I'm just being transparent with you. I see my kids, we're getting ready to go to school. I'll embrace them, I'll bring them tight, and I'll pray right in their ear. God, watch out for my boy today. I love him, and I know you love him more. And help him to be just that person you want him to be today. And I'm praying this in Jesus' name. You have a good day. You see, that's the regular, organic, natural custom that integrates into their life. I've told you this before, and I run the risk of here sounding like I'm, I, you know, I'm uh, trying to get, to get a prayer trophy. I'm not. I struggle with, with you know, uh, cluttered mindedness in prayer, etc. But I will say to you, as hopefully as a matter of influence for parents, especially as I'm speaking in this moment, for spouses, I hope this is a matter of influence. My kids know where to find me in the morning. Just this week, I had a conversation. Dad, now our schedule is a bit different. We have a high schooler. And for whatever reason, some person decided we will start high school at 720. I'd like to meet that person. Uh, you would think high schoolers who like to sleep in, we'd start around noon. And, you know, and then they could stay up at midnight. They'd be perfectly happy. But, you know, at any rate, so first year of high school, and we got rides and, and carpooling and all, all this craziness. We roll out of the house. I do Monday, Wednesday, Friday, roll out of the house at 6.30. Thankfully, I'm a morning person. So when I said this week, our first week of school this week, like, hey, I'll be up early, and, uh, and uh, if you have anything, I asked. I was trying to test my own regularity. I'll be up early if you have any questions, son. Do you know where to find me? Yeah, Dad, you'll be praying. I'm like, thank you, God, for giving me enough sense to know that I've shown him now for 14 years where to find dad in the morning. Those who are closest to you, if they see you pray, if you pray with them and make it part of you, beyond saying grace over your food, it makes a difference. Watch this. We're told that Jesus prayed frequently. And he, he, I, I, there are many mornings that, that the disciples woke up and probably the first three or four weeks, it was, you know, where's Waldo, right? Where's Jesus? After that, they knew where to find him. And because of that, it, because of that model, because of his family at the time, remember Jesus' mother said, hey, you know, I'm waiting outside for you. He says, hey, who are my family? Right here. This is my closest circle, right here. Because of, of Christ's model to his closest circle, it's that reason why we have in the scripture, in the gospel according to Luke, what we call the Lord's Prayer. 
The reason that we have the Lord's Prayer is that the disciples asked Jesus to teach them how to pray. And the reason that they asked Jesus to teach them how to pray is because Jesus was always praying. It's that simple. Luke chapter 11, verse 1. One day, Jesus was praying in a certain place. That's because he prayed in that certain place the day before, and he would pray there tomorrow, and he prayed there four weeks ago. He always was saying, hey, let me pick a certain place, a particular place, not just anywhere. I want to get away, and I'm going to pray right here. And when he had finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray. Listen, those things cannot be separated. They did not come to Christ because he was a theologian, a, theolo- a theological giant. Those two things, one day Jesus was praying and when he finished, is deeply connected to, hey, can you teach us how to do that? That's how it works. First litmus test. Ask the person closest to you, what is my reputation in prayer? It's a hard question, right? Go ahead and ask them now. I'm just kidding. I'm just playing. If I were to ask your spouse how your reputation of prayer would be, what would they say? What would they say? All right, let me give you another one. That's tough. It's kind of quiet in here today. Let me, let me, uh, let's go to another dimension. So you know that the, the bottom dropped out of, Joe, of Job's life, and it came in waves. There was a servant that said, hey, by the way, your cattle's dead. By the way, this, this has happened. Here's another disaster, and like, wow. And then you know, a little bit later, here comes the servant. Man, here, here's, what, here's one of the last phases of Job's catastrophe in Job chapter 1 and verse 18. While he was speaking, yet another, while Job was speaking, yet another messenger came and said, your sons and daughters were partying. They were feasting and drinking wine at the oldest brother's house. You know what? Hey, that was their reputation. You see irregularity there? And when suddenly a mighty wind swept in from the desert and struck the four corners of the house, the house collapsed on them. And Job, all your kids are dead. And I'm the only one who has escaped to tell you. Now watch the next two words. It's the simple words. At this, at this news, Job got up and tore his robe and shaved his head, and then he fell to the ground in worship. That act of shaving his head was an act of humility. It's that thing inside of him that said, oh, God. At this, he fell to the ground in worship, and he said, Naked I've come from my mother's womb. Naked I will depart. The Lord gave. The Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. God is God in the disasters. God is God in the success. God is God of my life. That's the message of Job. And in that moment, it wasn't only the reputation of prayer that he had with his family, how his family viewed his reputation. Watch. It's how God viewed his reputation of prayer. Wow, ask God how Steve's reputation is prayer. You might get a slightly different answer than if you ask my wife. Because God now knows the motive of everyone's heart. If I could have a conversation with Jesus today, and say, hey, how's Bill's prayer life going? Out of love, compassion, not out of judgment, but hey, how's it going? How's that? Does he have a reputation with you? How about when things happen that are horrible, like what's that reputation during that time? You remember Jesus was telling a a parable, and he said in Matthew chapter 13, he was talking about a seed and how the seed represents the word of God and it falls all different kinds of ground. And he said, but since this, this hard ground has no root, it lasts only a short time. In other words, for some people, when trouble, a persecution, when trouble comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. See, this was not the story of, of Job. The story of Job, in fact, in Job 27, he had the right, the privilege to ask this question in Job chapter 27, verse 9, he says, does the Lord listen to his cry uh, when distress comes upon him? 
Will he find delight in the Almighty? Will he call upon God at all times? Job is talking about a man that's not walking with God. And so when you look at Job and this guy who has a regularity, a custom of praying, he's, he's asking a, sting, a stinging question there at the very end. Will he call on God, watch, at all times? You see, the reputation that God is looking for in our life with prayer is, will you call on me at all times? Sometimes, as human beings, our, our worst moment is our greatest moment. Have you ever have you ever been there? You know, we're not we're kind of everything's cool spiritually and with God kind of, you know, in other words, we're not really connecting until something horrible happens and then we drop to our knees. Some people are the opposite of that. You know, when something horrible happens, man, I can't believe God did this to me. I don't want to have anything to do with him, with church, with the Bible, with anything, right? Some people are the opposite. Man, when success comes, Woo, I love you, God. I mean, that's, man, that is their, their highest praise moment. And on the other end, I've seen the other end more frequently when some things great happen to, to a person, bye-bye, God. Sometimes our greatest moments of success are the worst moments spiritually. Do you know what I mean? Sometimes my greatest moments of success, I've caught myself, I'm like, oh yeah, whoops. Forgot to give credit back to the source of that success. Here it is. God is looking for those who have a reputation, as Job said, to pray at all times. Ephesians chapter six, to pray on all occasions. So think about it. Is this, this is a stinging question, is it not? What does God think of your prayer life? What does God think of your regularity or the lack of regularity? What would God write in a paragraph about your reputation of prayer? You see, Job was that book that when, when Satan came and approached God, God said, have you considered Job? Have you considered my servant Job? He prays at all times. He walks with me. He's connected to me. All to God, that God would privately say that of us. Oh, the God that he would say of us, man, I've seen Bill. I've seen Bill at his worst, and I've seen him at his best, and I've seen him in his routine right in the middle, and every one of those layers, he loves me. He's not perfect. He doesn't have his act all together. Nobody does. But I'll tell you what, man, He's consistent no matter what. Boy, that's a reputation that God lays on uh, Job. In the book of Acts, chapter 10, verse 2, we find this man, Cornelius, who Peter's getting ready to visit. He was a Gentile. And he was just, he was exploring God before he even knew Christ, knew the gospel or anything. And in Acts chapter 10, verse 2, at the beginning of the story, Cornelius and all his family were devout. It's not a word we use, uh, uh, you know, uh, very often. Let's just say he was all in. It's more popular. Cornelius and his family were all in and God-fearing. He gave generously to those in need, and he prayed to God regularly. It is part of the mix. It is part of the mix of a reputation, that regular part. What would your family think of your, say, of your prayer life? And what would God say of your prayer life? Before we get to the final word, the final dimension here of reputation, I'm going to ask you to brace for impact. Brace for impact. And I, I'm going to ask you to stick with me here, okay? Because I'm going to take a turn that's probably unexpected, but let's just stick with, and stick with me and allow the word of God here to be our guide. Because the word of God is going to say some things that are not typical in culture. All right? Have I, do I have your attention? <laughs> At the end of the book of Job, these three friends have just been harassing Job. At the worst of time, he is at his bottom, and they, make, and they dig a hole at the bottom and help him to go just worse and worse. They were of no help. They just scrutinized him. They accused him. They were suspicious of him, blah, 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 blah. They had no idea what was going on behind the scenes. 
And if you know the story, God shows up, and so it's basically you know uh, these this long string of questions that should have begun with, okay, smarty pants, let me ask you a few questions here. And then God just begins to ask these questions that were so vast that no one could answer. Where is the snow stored? You know, about the, the uh, universe and about creation, only things that, God, in other words, God was saying, hey, you don't know as much as you think you know, okay? Then after it's all over, God makes this difficult request. He looks at the three guys who have been harassing Job, and they say to them, he said, God says to them, I want you to go back to Job, and he's going to pray for you. Watch this. Job chapter 42, verse 7. After the Lord had said these things to Job, he said to Eliphaz the Timonite, I'm angry with you and your two friends. Man, there's got to be shuddering words coming from, the, from God Almighty. I'm angry with you. I remember why my father would say that I am angry with you. Like, man, it would just wreak terror in me to hear God say that I am angry with you. Like, wow. Hey, how, why don't we take that verse out of context and uh, use that as our life verse? Hey, I'm angry with you. <laughs> no, it's in context. I'm, in, I'm angry with you and your two friends because you have not spoken of me what is right as my servant Job has. So now take seven bulls and seven rams, there it is again, in order to get access to me, we're gonna go through sacrifice. There's the theme again. Take seven bulls, seven rams, and go to my servant Job and sacrifice a burnt offering for yourselves. Watch. And my servant Job, who you've harassed at the worst of moments, he's gonna pray for you going to pray for you. And then I'll accept his prayer, not dealing with you according to your stupidity, to your folly. You have not spoken to me of what is right, as my servant Job has. Never notice when God repeats something like, ouch, again. Verse 9, so Eliphaz, Eliphaz the Temanite and Bildad the Shuhite and Zophar the Naamite. See, you don't know if I'm pronouncing that right or not. Yeah, Vanta. <laughs> I'm talking about. I feel safe in Hebrew. My God. <laughs> they did what the Lord told them, and the Lord accepted Job's prayer. And after Job prayed for his friends, the Lord made him prosper again and gave him twice as much as he had done before. Now, brace for impact, okay? What is our reputation within our family of prayer? Ask them what would they say of our prayer life. Ask God what he thinks of our prayer life, and it gets tougher. Ask people that we don't like what they think of our prayer life. Ask those of us that in our culture, for those that make us angry, have we really, have we pulled them in and prayed? Good grief, what power that would be. Shock them. That guy, that gal at work that just gets on your nerves, wouldn't it blow their mind, you know, if you just went into their cubicle, their office, and said, hey, you know what? Uh, I'm just thinking about you on the way to work. Is there anything I can pray for you for? I mean, it don't, it don't have to be weird or awkward. You don't have to get on your knees in their cubicle or anything crazy. You know, they're going to think you freaked out. But just shock them so that you would have the reputation of prayer for those that, are, that you don't even care for, that, you, that are maybe against it, that you're against them, to change it up right in the workplace. Now think of our culture. Here we go. Brace yourself. Think of our culture. Some of we are told in scripture to pray for our leaders. We are told in scripture to pr to uphold those that are above us 
in a country, wherever that country is, there's no criteria. Oh, they must be nice first. They must be Christians first. They must be reading the Bible first. They must be treating people fairly first. So may I get specific? Because I know I'm going, I've asked 10 people, you think I should say this this week? All of them said, no, I don't care. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I will not do that. If we look at what has happened this week in our country, what would happen if we, instead of shaking our head, we bowed our head? For those who are staunch Republicans, have you ever uttered a prayer for Hillary, for Nancy Pelosi? For those of you that can't stand Donald Trump, have you ever uttered a prayer for him? How would God see of those that you just can't stand, that have different political views, different moral views? Is it appropriate to pray for the gospel to penetrate the, the lives of men and women on both sides of the aisle? Is it appropriate to pray for the gospel to penetrate the, the extremists, the white supremacists, the, the KKK? Is it appropriate for us to pray, God, as Christ did, they're blinded to what they're doing in the bigger picture, and they need the gospel. They need the gospel. And for some of you, this makes you angry to even, for, for, to even some, someone have someone say that. But listen, you and I saying this morning, God, let me pray what you pray. And Jesus said, pray for your enemies. Jesus said, I wish that everybody on the planet would come to the light of Christ and find me through the sacrifice of my son. That's why we read in Romans chapter 10, verse 1, my heart's desire and my prayer to God for the Jews in this case is that they might be saved. For those who don't know Christ, that they might be saved. Paul said, that's my prayer. How do they come to Christ if we just shake our heads rather than bow our heads? In 1 Timothy chapter 2, watch, try this on if you're not convinced yet. Paul says, I urge, I urge, like, come on, guys. I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, that means praying for other people, and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings, and for uh, and all who are in high positions, senators, representatives, mayors, bosses, whoever that might be. The scripture, we cannot escape the scripture and the truth of scripture that we are urged and called to pray for all in high positions. Why? That we might lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way with a reputation of prayers for this culture. What would happen if a half a million of us would say, I'm praying for you no matter what your belief is right now. I'm praying for you no matter how extreme your action. I'm not going to stop praying. I'm going to pray at all times. This is good and pleasing in the sight of God our Savior who desires all people to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth for there's one sacrifice, there's one God, there's one mediator between God and men and that is the man Christ Jesus and he is the one that we represent. This week I watched several films of a man named uh, Dr. Richard Harris. Dr. Richard Harris was uh, a dragon uh, master in the KKK in Indiana. And uh, through different series and courses of his life, he, uh, he had bodyguards, and that's a top rank in, a, in the state uh, organization for the KKK. And he had bodyguards because there was a hit out on his life. It's, it's, the organization is, is 
you know, even within itself uh, is dangerous to one another. And uh, because of the hit on his life, he understood he could not get out of the KKK. And so the only way out of that position, that dangerous position, is that he applied for a higher position so that he could have a location change. So he applied for a national position in the KKK. And he said, we have an opening for chaplain. Now let me explain what that means. They take verses out of context, half verses out of context, and they, they, they pervert the scripture verse, the scripture, okay? I'll say that clearly. So that, you know, anybody can justify anything in life by taking little snips out of the Bible, okay? Slavery was justified by many by misquoting and taking little snips out of the Bible. You got to read the whole picture. So he, ex- he was going to accept this job, interview for this job, and they used John 4 where there was a Samaritan and you shouldn't talk to Samaritans, and they draw that out as a, as a means of supporting what they believe. And uh, so he was preparing with John 4, but he had never, he'd only heard it in meetings. He had never heard a Bi- had held a Bible in his own hands. And he began to read John 4. And he didn't stop at the Samaritan woman. He kept reading John 4 where Jesus offered the living water. And that entire night, he read all of the Gospel of John. And he called them the next day with a very dangerous call, and he said, I'm out. I can't do it anymore. He and his two bodyguards went to church the next Sunday was one of the bodyguards, his dad was a, a Methodist pastor. And the reason they went to that church is because the Methodist pastor loved them, even the way they were. He had a reputation of love. So they showed up at the Methodist church that morning. One of the bodyguards came to Christ first. And then Dr. Richard Harris followed. And now he teaches about 90 minutes from here in Southeastern University as a believer in Christ who promotes equality in all of uh, humanity. You can go ahead and clap. That's cool. (laughs) How's your reputation for praying for those that are so opposed to the very heart of the gospel, to the very heart of your morals. Man, that is a true test. I'd like to say that I'd, I'd be like Job, but there is a, there is a chance, and I, I don't know what percentage of chance it is with me, but it seems pretty high. There's a chance when those three dudes came to me to ask and pray, I, it would have been something like, are you kidding me? <laughs> After what you've put me through? Are you kidding me? And left to myself, it would be the exact answer. Left to my own desire, left to my own reaction, it's the exact answer. But the reason that we're here today is not just to fulfill our own desires, our, desire, our, our hope and, and prayer and purpose for being here today is to let the word of God change us, recalibrate us, and be our anchor and let the word be our guide. And the word says, pray for all people because this is the heart of God. What is your reputation in prayer today? Now, Before you leave and say, man, mine is awful. Boy, this has just thrown me right under the bus, and I feel like, man, my reputation on a scale from one to 100 is a negative four. It's never our purpose. Our purpose is to challenge, but then to grow. So a couple things I would leave you with today. Find a model. Find a model. Find somebody and say, man, I want that. I want that. I want to be more like that. Maybe it's just husband, wife, whatever, but I want to be like that. Because, see, I think, it's, I think it means something 
when we have models in our life, those who have a reputation to say, let me ask you, how, how do you do it? How do you do it time after time? How do you do it when life is awful? How do you do it when you got great success? How do you do that? What's a success? There's some, there's some men and women in this church. I'm like, God, if I could, man, I just want to track like that. First, first, it would be models. Then secondly, and finally, I would say, if you open up your weekly, you'll see that we, we've given you some, some blanks here today to fill in. And um, I would say that uh, when you look at this, it's kind of several layers that you can that you can uh, you can take advantage of. So um, we're asking to pray with other people or for other people. But I'm going to give you a personal challenge here with a personal story as we end today. And and for those of you that are willing to step a little past your comfort zone line. Because it's easy to, to say, you know what, that guy at work, Bill, okay, Steve, I got you. I'm, I'm going to pray for Bill and in the privacy of my home. Way to go. Great, great job. But I would ask you to amp it up if you're willing and to go to Bill and say, hey, is there anything I can pray for you for? You see the difference? That's like mild pink and red hot. That's a lot tougher, isn't it? I'm just going to pray for Bill. Great, pray for Bill. That's awesome. If you really want to go red hot sizzling with Tabasco, say, hey, man, I wonder if during lunch I could just pop in your office and pray with you for a couple of minutes. Wow. Now, that can be somebody you've never prayed with, by the way. It doesn't have to be somebody, you know, let's see who are the three people I don't like this week and I'll go pray with. It can be anybody. But, all right, don't make it your wife or husband. Don't make it your pet. Uh, don't make it your... <laughs> I'm praying for Fifi, my little poodle. <laughs> okay. I'm just asking you to challenge yourself. So let me challenge myself in front of you, and then you can hold me accountable. How about that? That's, that's kind of fun. I go to the gym just about every day. There's a, 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 you know, a desk you've got to check in with. There's a high turnover rate at the desk, I've noticed, probably because I've got to be there at 4.30 in the morning. Right now, there's a girl there, and I tell you, I, you could pay her $1,000 to crack a smile. She's not going to. She didn't say hi. She didn't say, I mean, it's just like probably right bus, wrong seat type thing, maybe. And the first day, she was, this, this week was her first week on the job, and I came in, I, I'm just being honest with you, just so you can say, hey, everybody's, everybody's normal here. It kind of miffed me. Yeah, you know, I walked in the gym. I was in a good mood. And then I, like, you know, got to this girl with kind of a crabby attitude and everything. Didn't say hi. And I, I tried a couple times. Hey, how's it going? Okay. All right, I'll be working out. I'll be over there if you have any questions. <laughs> I'll be back in seven minutes. I don't work out that long. No, I'm just kidding. So, um, nothing. So, like, kind of, kind of, Right? I walked out kind of miffed. And intentionally, because I always say, you know, at the desk, you got to go right by the desk to walk out the door. Hey, have a great day. I always say that. Hey, have a great day. Not no, this day. I'm like, you know what? You don't deserve that. <laughs> I did. Pastor Steve. Oh, yeah. And in my mind, I'm not kidding, I thought, hey, you know, it's a quick turnaround. Maybe that today will be her last day. Her first day and her last day. <laughs> Because the company surely will see, you know, this is not the right job for her. <laughs> then I came back on Tuesday morning. She's there. And it's God. You can't take any credit for this. It's God that kind of infiltrates your, your thinking and your mind. And I thought, I wonder what her story is. I didn't come up on that with my own guys. It's because I had been in prayer and now I come in, I'm like, I wonder what her story is. Maybe she's being abused right now. Maybe she's just gone through a breakup. Maybe she's squeezing every penny she can to make ends meet. 
Maybe she's got a, a kid at home. She's a single mom. I don't know what her story is, but I promise you she's got one. And so when I walked in that day, I said, hey, how you doing? Nothing. But when I walked out, I said, hey, hope you have a good day. And she didn't say anything. We're just, we're working, you know, baby steps. But she looked up like that. And you know what that look says? Nobody else is probably doing it. So my challenge to myself is sometime this week, I'm going to go up and as I'm checking in or out, I don't know what her reaction's going to be. She might tell me to buzz off. Hey, is there anything that I can pray for you for? I'm going to put that public challenge up to you. And you, you, have, you can ask me two questions next week. Do I know how to pronounce Heifer? <laughs> and did I pray for her? How about that? <laughs> Listen. I'm in the same challenges as you are. I'm human like you are. Let's challenge ourselves and build a reputation of prayer. How about that? Thanks, God, today for allowing us to be uh, recalibrated again. And we've done, we've been recalibrated, God, today by seeing those who have chosen you, gone through baptism. We've been recalibrated by someone who has given their life to, to, for other people in another country. We've been calibrated by, recalibrated, God, by worship today as we've sung as a confession. Where you go, I go. Where you, what you pray, I pray, God. And without a shadow of a doubt, God, we know that Jesus would stop and linger at the check-in desk at LA Fitness. We know that. So, God, we're sorry where we haven't gone where you've gone all the time, but we want to, and we want to take steps and baby steps. And we want you to look at us like you did Job and say, hey, there's my servant right there who prays all times. We want our spouses, our boyfriends, our girlfriends, our children, our, our closest colleagues to say, wow, now there's, boy, there's a person that's in kind of regular conversation and listening with God. Father, we can't end today without praying for this country. And yes, we pray for Donald Trump and Mitch McConnell and Nancy Pelosi and Hillary Clinton. And though our ideals may differ greatly, we pray for them and pray that the light of Christ would penetrate somehow through some avenue. We pray for the extremist. We pray for those who are trying to bring peace that the gospel would reach them. We pray, Father, that the power of the gospel would be the very thing that changes this, this nation, God. It will not be harsh words. It won't even be all the, all the rules and the regulations, God. It will be the gospel changing the hearts of men and women and teenagers and children and college students. It will be the gospel changing the hearts of those on the extreme and those on the moderate. But God, you've called us as followers of Christ to pray for all people. So God, amongst your people this week, may there be less shaking heads and more bowing heads. Help us, Father, for those who have connected to you through the sacrifice of Jesus, never ever forget where we were before we connected. And as a grateful people, Father, we want to love you and talk with you and pray. And we, hold the, the, we bear the weight of responsibility to pray for this country. And so we ask that God, that the gospel find its way into the hearts and the minds of key leaders in this country. And we end today by thanking you, Father, for the privilege of prayer. It is a great, great privilege, and we love you together. In Jesus' name, amen. <laughs>